This is the Africa service of Vatican Radio. Welcome to our half-hour daily program for Africa. Stay tuned for our bulletin of church news, which will be followed by Panorama. And then our features, Echo of the African Synod and the Millennium Appointment. I am Johnny Baptist Tumusime. Pope Francis issued a message on Sunday on the occasion of the 5th anniversary of the document on human fraternity for world peace and living together signed by him and the Grand Imam of Al-Azhar Ahmed Al-Tayyib on February 4th, 2019 in Abu Dhabi. In the message read for him in Abu Dhabi on Sunday by Cardinal Michel Angeli Ayuso Guzot, who is the prefect of the dicastery for interreligious dialogue and member of the Higher Committee for Human Fraternity, Pope Francis said he was encouraged to see that the path of dialogue, friendship, and mutual esteem which began in Abu Dhabi five years ago continues to bear fruit in many parts of the world. And he noted that it is essential to draw attention to the principles that can guide humanity through the dark shadows of injustice, hatred, and war into the brightness of a world community marked by those values that unite and build society. The Pope reiterated his gratitude to the Grand Imam of Al-Azhar Ahmed Al-Tayyib and to Sheikh Mohammed bin Sayed Al-Nahyan, the President of the United Arab Emirates, for their vital support for initiatives aimed at promoting the values of fraternity and social comradeship, founded on the principle that all human beings are not only created equal but are inherently connected as brothers and sisters, children of one Father in heaven. This year's winners of the Zayedi Prize were the Indonesian organization Nadlatul Ulama and Muhammadiyah, the Egyptian Hat Sajoni Majid Yakub and a Catholic nun from Chile, Sister Nelly Leon. Pope Francis congratulated them, emphasizing that the above who have been honored with the award are known for their solidarity efforts in favor of the development of humanity and for promoting peaceful coexistence. The Archbishop of Dakar in Senegal, His Grace Benjamin Ndiaye, has expressed concern following the announcement on Saturday by the country's President Mark Sali that he had postponed indefinitely the general elections that had been scheduled for 25th this month. The Archbishop warned that President Sali's decision could hurt unity in the country. Indeed, on Sunday, hundreds of opposition protesters crashed with the security agencies in the capital, Dakar, demanding the revocation of the president's decision. We have a report. Archbishop Benjamin Ndiaye said, I share the current tension with my fellow citizens. Like many others, probably, I'm baffled by what's going on. The Archbishop of Dakar was presiding over a celebration marking the 175th anniversary of the legal erection of the parish of Joao, when he stressed the importance of striving for national cohesion. 
Institutions must be respectable and respected in their mission if we are to move forward together, he stressed, adding that Senegalese people must avoid the technique of circumvention. In a televised address to the nation, President Macky Sall announced on Saturday that he had cancelled the relevant electoral law, citing a dispute over the candidate list. He said he signed a decree abolishing a November 2023 measure that had set the original election date for the 24th of February, but did not give a new date. Last month, Senegal's Constitutional Council excluded some prominent opposition members from the list of candidates. On Sunday, following the president's announcement, the streets of Dakar filled with protests after all 19 opposition candidates invited the country's citizens to take to the streets. Police fired tear gas to disperse the protesters. Aminata Tour, a prominent opposition figure who once served as a prime minister and is now a vocal critic of the current government, posted on X that she was arrested upon her arrival at a protest. Tour had previously held the position of premier under President Sal, but later shifted to the opposition. In condemning Sal's choice to delay the election, Tour characterized it as an unprecedented democratic regression and urged the public to rally together to safeguard their rights. Archbishop Ndiaye emphasized his closeness to the Senegalese people and he stressed that when we greet people, we constantly wish for peace but that this peace needs to be rebuilt, and that requires truth in words and in deeds. I'm Francesca Merlo. The Bishop of the Catholic Diocese of Kasese in Uganda, the Right Reverend Francis Chibira, has appealed to the country's political leaders to concentrate more on teaching the community the basics of development and discipline instead of preaching politics. He made the appeal recently in Kasese during Holy Mass. He said many Ugandan politicians seek additional terms of office when actually they have done nothing to empower the people who elected them. He noted that the people of Kasese need skills, jobs, and development projects to improve on their lives and not political rhetoric. Humanitarian agencies have appealed to the fighting factions in Sudan to reach agreement on a ceasefire because their war continues to displace and kill more people. The appeal was made on Friday in Geneva. The agencies said they have limited resources to cater for the ever-growing number of displaced people. You are tuned to the English Africa service of Vatican Radio. News Panorama. Gunmen in southwest Nigeria have released six school children and three teachers whom they kidnapped nearly a week ago. They were expected to be taken to a local hospital for medical treatment and post-trauma therapy. Authorities in Ekiti State said on Sunday that a driver who was taken with them was killed. They did not say if a ransom was paid to secure the pupils' freedom. The kidnappers had demanded more than hundred thousand United States dollars. Kidnappings are common in the north of Nigeria, but have been spreading across the country. Last week, armed men shot dead a traditional ruler in Kwara State and kidnapped two people, including the monarch's wife. The number of people who died last week on Thursday in a huge gas explosion in Kenya's capital Nairobi has risen to six. Authorities said that two more people succumbed to their injuries on Sunday while receiving treatment at the Kenyatta National Hospital. Fifty-two others are being treated in different health facilities. A lorry laden with gas cylinders blew up just before midnight on Thursday in a densely populated area of the city, 
causing several fires. The authorities have described the filling facility as illegal and said it had previously been demolished twice. Mobile internet access has been temporarily cut in Senegal, the government announced on Monday, a day after hundreds protested President Maxwell's postponement of the presidential election. Communication Minister Moussa Bokacham said the measure had to be taken in order to halt the spread of hateful and subversive messages relayed on social networks in a context of threats of disturbances to public order. Amnesty International's Senegal chapter has condemned the government's actions and urged it to respect freedom of the press and the rights of the citizens to be informed. Lawmakers were on Monday expected to debate a bill proposing to hold the presidential vote on 25th August and keep President So in power until his successor is installed. The election had originally been scheduled for 25th February. Namibia's newly inaugurated president, Nangolo Mbumba, has declared a period of national mourning in honor of his predecessor, President Hage Gengbo, who died on Sunday. 82-year-old Gengob died while receiving treatment for cancer at a hospital in the capital, Vindok. The national mourning period began on Monday and is set to last until the death of Gengbo's funeral which is yet to be determined. All national flags in Namibia and its foreign diplomatic missions will be flown at half-mast until the late president's funeral. You are tuned to the Daily Africa service of Vatican Radio. The African Synod, the Church Alive in Africa Today. Hello and welcome to the program. I am Festus Tarawali. The church in South Africa on the 1st of February marks the feast day of Blessed Benedict Daswa on the theme Benedict Daswa the Farmer. South Africa's first blessed was martyred in 1990 and was beatified on the 13th of September 2015 in his home diocese of Zanin. On the eve of this year's celebration, the current bishop of the diocese most Reverend Joao Rodriguez spoke to Sheila Pirish about the ongoing process of his sainthood cause, among other issues. It's, of course, um, a feast day, especially during this time when we are considering and hoping and praying for him to be eventually recognized uh, as a saint. This is our belief that this will happen sometime. We know that there has to be a miracle and so on to be recognized by the church. There is one in the process. We're simply waiting for uh, some indication from the dicastery for the cause of saints to indicate where the uh, actual process is at the moment. From their side, we are waiting for some response, but we are quite hopeful and quite positive that um, eventually uh, there will be uh, a special blessing that uh, will be recognized through his intercession. So this is an important part of our prayer as well. And of course, um, we are, are also very conscious of the fact that next year will be the Jubilee year or the Holy Year in uh, for the Catholic Church. Every 25 years we have the ordinary year and we believe understand that next year there will be a particular focus on the modern martyrs 
uh, martyrs that uh, are recognized by the church that are from the turn of the century, from uh, 2000, the year 2000, until to date. So that's, uh, I believe that's where Blessed Daswa also probably will be recognized in that way. Uh, whether that will also spur on the, the <laughs> encouraging the actual process to recognize him as a saint is neither here nor there, but we certainly will be uh, looking at that uh, special year as well. So it's in a way, uh, this year is a year of prayer, of in a very special way, in relationship to uh, the holy year coming up in 2025. The Blessed Daswa cause, of course, and the devotions to him continue throughout the year. And um, there are, uh, we have uh, a, a chaplain to the pilgrims. His name is Father John Kennedy. He's a divine word missionary. And uh, he spends most of the time welcoming and guiding pilgrims at the, especially at the site, the, the church where the tomb of Blessed Daswa is located. That's in the village of Mweli, uh, the Assumption Church. And um, every month there, there are uh, special uh, services and people are encouraged to, um, to attend these uh, services of healing, of, of uh, prayer, holy hour, confession, even getting uh, some talk concerning Blessed Daswa's life and the implications for our own devotion, our own faith. And also um, there's a, every third Sunday of the month, we call it Blessed Daswa Sunday, again uh, held at Ngueli Church. Um, and that is also being encouraged now because we have this chaplain, I call him a chaplain because he's free and he, from any other type of duties. So I think it's it's a, it's encouraging for us to see that the people are uh, are um, attending these monthly services, which is a, a development from our side. And um, I would say also maybe it would be interesting to note that the focus of the feast day uh, this year is on Blessed Daswa as a farmer. Uh, we know that he was a teacher, he was a principal of a school, but there's also in his life we know that he... He grew up uh, in a rural area there, and um, even as a child, he was, you know, he learned how to herd cattle and so on. And even as an, an adult, he uh, worked on the his own um, uh, plot, uh, vegetable garden that was there, belonging to his family and so on. And it was a very important part of his life. Of um, uh, also, the farm became also a place for um, even young people to learn to become more self-sustaining in their uh, life, especially the poor children who sometimes uh, were not able to afford to pay for education. He would um, send them to the farm to do some cultivation and so on. And so in that way, they also paid for their education. So it was a wonderful uh, experience of uh, developing the young people, but also a great attachment he had to the land, which I think for our times also it's a, it's a wonderful example of his relationship. His faith was never disconnected with his relationship with the land and making it fruitful and productive. And we see this as a, a good focus to have for this year. So the 
color will be green, you know, there will be a lot of green <laughs> at the event. The last time we spoke, you were very excited about the resumption of the pilgrimages. You did mention the pilgrimages, the men's, men's pilgrimages, the women's pilgrimages, and of course, youth. And this is happening once again this year. Right. Uh, you are having those pilgrimages coming to Tsanindas in February and early March. Let's talk about the impact of such pilgrimages, not only to the diocese, but to the conference as a whole. Yes, uh Well, the, the, the good thing about these pilgrimages is, first of all, they are, um, they weren't pilgrimages that, uh, we took initiative on from the diocese side. They were largely, uh, coming from the, uh, the wish of people that, uh, heard about the, uh, you know, the possibility of doing a pilgrimage. And, um, and then also here at the bishop's, uh, conference here at, uh, the, the office in Kanyask, we have the laity department. And, um, there were particular, um, especially like the youth, uh, Father Tembeni, who was, uh, we're still actually a coordinator for the youth in the, in the conference region. He was also very, uh, instrumental in, uh, you know, encouraging the, the youth to, uh, respond to do a pilgrimage to, uh, the, uh, blessed Daswa shrine in Ngweli. And so this has been every year now. And so it's become a sort of, even though there have been changes with people and so on, but the pilgrimage, these pilgrimages continue. And they, it, it does also indicate that it's, you know, it's, it's, this thing is really, out of even our hands as a diocese. You know, people will come from other dioceses, from other places, because they want to, uh, you know, do this pilgrimage. They're benefiting in different ways. Of course, everyone has their own story as to what the pilgrimage means for them. And so it continues. Of course, we also have fundraising events uh, that uh, women and the men of the diocese, that is, uh, that are even um, connected with... Uh, trying to uh, encourage the promotion. So even the fundraising of the, of the lay people uh, in our diocese also is tied up with promoting pilgrimages, promoting the actual devotion to Blessed Daswa's um, cause. There's, uh, this year we're having also a, work, a walking pilgrimage, which is a bit unusual, uh, meaning that, uh, when is it? Is it in June, I think? I can't even know. I'll have to check the time, the program but uh, the the main walk is from Toyondo the town itself where the church is Sacred Heart Church all the way to uh, Ngweli village we'll be walking usually when you drive by car it's you know it can take about half an hour or so driving so it's, it's quite a fairly good distance there was once some years back of, uh, before the pandemic a pilgrim walk uh, some even did much further they they started way back uh, uh, closer to Tsanin. So it was they stayed overnight in, uh, in one of the parishes and continued on the walk all the way the following day and so on. And I think that's also a, a good initiative uh, that was taken by one of the priests, um, Father Wilfred at the time, an apostle of Jesus from Uganda. And um, this has also now become sort of, people have been asking, you know, when is the next walking pilgrimage? So I'll be personally taking part in that myself, hopefully. <laughs> uh, 
and it will be the first time for me to do something like that. And so we hope that that in itself can also become more and more, um, you know, word can go out and people who've gone on that walking pilgrimage could perhaps next year, hopefully being a special holy year for the whole church, it may catch on, you know, and more and more people may want to actually do a walking pilgrimage. So we're hoping that will happen, yeah. That was Bishop Joao Rodriguez of Tsanin Diocese in South Africa speaking there to Sheila Purish. And that's all for this edition of the African Synod, the Church Alive in Africa today. Till the same time next week, I am Festus Tarawali. And now, our feature Millennium Appointment. The Prefect of the Dicastry for the Promotion of Integral Human Development, Cardinal Michael Cheney, arrived in Southeast Sudan on Saturday, February 3rd, to reinforce the message of peace delivered to the country by Pope Francis during his three-day visit in February last year, alongside the Anglican Archbishop of Canterbury and the head of the Anglican Communion, His Grace Justin Welby, and the then moderator of the General Assembly of the Church of Scotland, the Right Reverend Ian Greensheds. Cardinal Cheney presided over Holy Mass on Sunday in the Cathedral of the Catholic Archdiocese of Juba, and in his homily, he referred to the general elections scheduled for December 24th this year and invited the faithful to pray and work hard to ensure that the elections are fair, transparent, credible, and peaceful. On the eve of his departure, the Cardinal spoke to Vatican Radio about the visit. The visit means to repeat the message brought a year ago by the Holy Father and the other religious leaders that peace is possible. So it's a reinforcing and uh, renewing the Pope's message. The bishops invited me because they felt that this all-important message of a year ago needs to be restated with uh, as much vigor as we can. What do you foresee as concrete outcomes from your visit and from the interest of the Holy Father and the Church in South Sudan? One of the uh, concrete outcomes is support for the 10 million people displaced on the other side of the border with Sudan. This is a concrete way, I think, of um, acting out the making of peace. We do not make peace by raising walls and by making it difficult and dangerous for those who, for every good reason on earth, are seeking the minimum of uh, security that we then make their access difficult. On the contrary, we should open our doors, our hearts, and also our capacities so that they can find the safety without which human life is basically impossible. Part of your visit will include Mass in the Church of St. Josephine Bakhita on the World Day of Prayer and Reflection Against Human Trafficking. Can you tell us a little bit about the importance of this topic? It deals specifically with your dicastery and how the dicastery is engaged in combating uh, what Pope Francis and others have called a scourge in humanity. I'm very touched and moved to be able to celebrate the Feast of St. Bakhita in South Sudan, having been devoted to her for all these years that I've been working with my colleagues on human trafficking and modern slavery, I feel like I'm going to meet her at home for the first time, and that makes me very happy. Our principal partner in the struggle against slavery and trafficking 
is Talitakum, the uh, international coalition or alliance of religious sisters involved in the uh, struggle against trafficking, or I would say more accurately involved in the rescuing and healing of victims of traffic. And this is a most uh, admirable mission and ministry. They do what uh, many other people talk about, but they actually do it, and uh, without much fanfare or publicity or resources. To be there, I have much to offer, but it's a sign of our appreciation and support for the work of Talita Kum and our prayer that uh, this uh, effort of liberation and healing will, in the long run, we know, will be the key to setting this scourge aside. You're also going to visit the border with Sudan. You mentioned Sudan already. There's a forgotten, almost, civil war lacerating the people. Pope Francis often speaks about the forgotten wars, the violence in the world that does not make headlines the way that other wars do. I understand your blessing of boat for the local Caritas office. Can you tell me a little bit about that? The boat is uh, a, a small contribution to the effort to open South Sudan's doors, therefore to make it the river transitable for people who are fleeing. And uh, this is no small matter. This is, uh, at the moment, there are 10 million people waiting at the border or in flight, 10 million people displaced. So this is a concrete example of the uh, dreadful fruits of war. You can only think for a minute what it means to be displaced from your home and your place and your people and all that. It's unspeakable. And so this uh, small gesture of sympathy, compassion, misericordia, and solidarity. Again, I'm glad to be a little part of this by blessing the boat and by visiting the border. Is there anything else you'd like to add? I would only ask all our listeners to pray for this uh, week-long pilgrimage of peace in the footsteps of the Holy Father and to join me in renewing our hope and not giving up and not saying, well, that's a hopeless war not worth worrying about. It's a necessary war to worry about, and the last word is not hopelessness, but uh, hope for peace. Cardinal Michael Cheney, the prefect of the Dicastri for the promotion of integral human development, now visiting South East Sudan. He was speaking there to Christopher Wells. You have been listening to the English Africa service of Vatican Radio, and I am Johnny Baptist Tomosime. In your next program at the same time tomorrow, you can hear our feature, Justice and Peace. Praised be Jesus Christ. Laudetur Jesus Christus.